On the night of his betrayal and arrest, Jesus gathered his disciples together and said, I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciple, if you have love for one another. Now, the church reads these words every year on the, Holy Th- on the Thursday evening of Holy Week, a day often called Monday Thursday, a title that's derived from the same Latin root as the English word mandate. In essence, the church regards the commemoration of Jesus' last night with his disciples as new mandate or new commandment Thursday. There's only one problem with this designation. The commandment to love really wasn't a new one at all. That sounds awfully familiar, Jesus, one of the disciples must have been tempted to say. Are you sure we haven't heard that one before? Well, of course they had heard that one before. Repeated commandments to love give life and vitality to the law of Moses and the traditions of Israel in which the disciples, and Jesus too, had been raised. There's Leviticus 19.18, for example, which reads, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's Deuteronomy chapter 10 as well, a passage that first describes God as the one who executes justice for the orphan and the widow and who loves the stranger, and then commands the people to do the same thing, to also love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. In fact, this idea that there's a direct connection between the faithful's experience of God's love and the expectation that they love neighbors and strangers and others well is the bedrock on which biblical notions of discipleship, faithfulness, and ethics stand. You have been loved by God, so love others. You are blessed by God, so go be a blessing in this world. The writings, the stories, the prophets of the ancient scripture make this clear over and over again. For example, it's reminding the people that God broke their bonds of slavery and gave them Moses and a law to set them free, that the prophet Micah points them to what can only be the appropriate response. With what shall I come before the Lord, bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He's told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. We are loved by God and empowered to love others in God's name. In Jesus' day, this was already an ancient teaching and territory that he had covered with his disciples. Remember when a Pharisee tried to stump him? Teacher, he asked, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So what was Jesus up to on that last night with his friends? Love one another? A new commandment? What was he getting at? I think the Sermon on the Mount helps us understand more clearly our mandate and Jesus' intention. 
This morning, we read a section of Jesus' most famous sermon in which he sets his teachings over and against the law in a series of you have heard it said, but I say statements. You have heard it said, you shall not murder. But I say that if you are angry with your brother or sister or insult them, you will be liable to judgment. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say if someone strikes you on the cheek, cheek, turn the other cheek to them as well. There's no doubt that Jesus hoped this riff would inspire the people to elevate their own actions, attitudes, and their imaginations. We do well, you see, to appreciate that while there's no evidence Jesus ever required any of his followers to pluck out a wandering eye or lop off an offending hand, he did take seriously and did intend to push his disciples to be more than a community that just kept the letter of the law. He wanted the law to pierce to the very essence of their being. He wanted them to embody the law's spirit its highest ideals. He wanted them to be a sign of God's beloved community, even in the midst of a broken world. Stanley Hauerwas and Will Willimon describe Jesus' intention like this. In Matthew 5, Jesus repeatedly cites an older command, already tough enough to keep in itself, and then radically deepens its significance, not to lay some gigantic ethical burden on the backs of potential ethical heroes, but to illustrate what is happening in our midst. This instance is not a law from which deductions can be causistically drawn. Rather, it is an imaginative metaphor which hopes to produce a shock within our imaginations so that the hearer comes to see his or her life in a radical new way. The shocking reality about the radical new way Jesus wants us to live is that it is inseparable from the shocking reality about who God is and what God does in and through and with Jesus Christ. February 11th marked the 30th anniversary of Nelson Mandela's release from prison after serving 27 years for protesting South Africa's racist policy of apartheid. Mandela went on to become his nation's first black president and one of the world's most respected leaders. He was also a Christian, whose experience of tremendous suffering because of cruel policies, policies often supported and carried out by other believers, not only showed to him a truth about God, but also the truth about how we should live. Mandela articulated this truth in remarks he delivered at an Easter conference in 1994, when the prisoner-turned-politician put on the mantle of a preacher. Each Easter marks the rebirth of our faith, Mandela said. It marks the victory of our risen Savior over the torture of the cross and the grave. Our Messiah, born like an outcast in a stable and executed like a criminal on the cross. Our Messiah, whose life bears testimony to the truth that there is no shame in poverty. Those who should be ashamed are those who impoverish others. Our Messiah, whose life testifies to the truth that there is no shame in being persecuted. Those who should be ashamed are those who persecute others. Our Messiah, whose life proclaims the truth that there is no shame in being conquered. Those who should be ashamed are those who conquer others. Our Messiah, 
whose life testifies to the truth that there is no shame in being dispossessed. Those who should be ashamed are those who dispossess others. Our Messiah, whose life testifies to the truth that there is no shame in being oppressed. Those who should be ashamed are those who oppress others. Now in Mandela's litany, I hear an echo of Jesus' Beatitudes. In fact, I hear Mandela drawing a straight line between the Sermon on the Mount and Monday Thursday's new commandment to love because he's grounding how we treat others, how we as believers respond to what Jesus has done for us in our actions and attitudes toward others. He grounds this all in who Jesus is and what Jesus does. The shocking call of how we are to treat others is completely grounded and rooted in the shocking reality of God's love for us. The shocking reality about the radical new way Jesus Jesus wants us to live is that it is inseparable from the shocking reality about who God is and what God does in and through and with Jesus Christ. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus invites those who would follow him to center their lives in the character and the abundance of God's mercy and holiness as they are revealed to us in Jesus himself. He isn't interested in this sermon or anywhere else in teaching us how to do enough good things so that others will think that we're good people, think nice thoughts about us. He doesn't want to teach us what's the least that we can do so that we get to go to heaven when we die. He isn't interested at all in answering any question that's based on the erroneous assumption that God's blessings and love are in any way limited or scarce. Instead, He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things, freedom from worry, freedom from want, freedom from the things that hold you back, that plague your mind, that keep you up at night, freedom from these things shall be added unto you. Jesus wants us to encounter the expanse and the power and the beauty of God's amazing grace. To know God's grace is active in this world and present to all people and to live our life accordingly. Or said another way, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciple if you have love for one another. Thanks be to God for this good news today and always. Amen and amen.